Good morning. Yes, it's good to be here. Good to be together in the Lord. I think God has sent me up here with a message of encouragement and strength for us. And we do appreciate your prayers uh, as we all navigate a new environment, a new world, a new opportunities where God is really leading us as a church, as a family of churches to reach the lost. Um, before we start, I want to I let you know that we finally finished a book that I've been working on for years, and we brought it with us and want to make it available to you. It's called God's Help for the Troubled Heart. And it was a series of Bible studies that I shared uh, a couple years after our son passed away. You know, our whole church, we, our family was in grief and mourning, and our whole church was in grief and mourning. And I felt the Lord tell me, uh, that I needed to teach and help the church, like give a release to the church. Like let's just release this all and get our eyes on the Lord, maybe get them back on the Lord if necessary. So we finally brought the, we finally got the project done. Uh, some people uh, thought it was a book about our family or about our testimony. It's not. It's a book about the faithfulness of God. And it's not a book on grief either. Uh, it's, a, it's a resource that we want to make available to help encourage and strengthen no matter what kind of trial or difficulty. So that's available afterwards. I want to let you know because uh, it, was, it was a lot of hard work that really during the time of uh, shutdown with COVID, it, it awakened all these other projects that have been sitting around. So we started knocking these projects out one by one, one by one. And I'm, I'm really surprised personally of how much God is using it around the country. And now we're just beginning, you know, just beginning to take it from church to church. And um, I'm, I'm encouraged. And just so you know, uh, as well, all the proceeds, all the net proceeds from, uh, from our book, you know, from things that on our bookstore, but this book in particular, all go to missions. So what we do is at the end of the year, uh, we take all the net proceeds of our coffee house, of our bookstore. Um, this, is gone, this goes through our bookstore. Uh, and we take all the net proceeds and we write an extra check to all our missionaries in January. So it just blesses them uh, in, as they launch off into a new year. Because uh, our missionaries took a big hit uh, this last year. I don't know if you guys realize that. They took a hit emotionally, spiritually, financially. I know a lot of churches, uh, some of the connections that I have, certainly not here, but a lot of connections that I have, uh, they stopped supporting their missionaries financially. Uh, they got scared uh, and pulled back. And so... Everything from that goes to our mission. So welcome. I mean, I'm welcome if you're new. You probably expected Pastor Eric, but as Robert said, he's out uh, sharing. So, you know, I love this church. I love you guys. I've been connected. This is one of the first churches uh, that I taught at uh, as a new church planning pastor back way back in the day when it was in the, um, oh, what was that place? Was it a bingo hall uh, over in that area? Uh, next to the bingo hall when we, when we met. And uh, that's where actually when I met Pastor Eric. Uh, the first Sunday, I was so nervous uh, to, to teach and, um, and, and just, man, such an honor uh, to teach as we had just moved out to plant the church. That was like 20 years ago. Uh, that was when uh, I met uh, Eric and Amber for the first time. It was their first Sunday as the youth pastors that week. And so we became friends very quickly there and have been friends ever since. So Bless you guys. I think the Lord has a word for us. Um, I saw it last night uh, as we shared on the goodness of God. My iPad doesn't want to cooperate. I'm going to have to teach sideways. Here we go. And so I think just God has an encouragement for us. So let's pray and uh, give God a chance to minister to us. Father, we know that your Holy Spirit is among us. And, um, you know, who are we? But Men and women, boys and girls, these new families launching off with these kiddos. And, and what an honor and a blessing it is to know you, uh, to serve you. I pray for our fellowship family up in Aurora, God, with Pastor Brennan and the team as they uh, minister the word in my absence. I pray for Pastor Eric as he's up with, in Oregon uh, with the saints at the fellowship there. I, I'm always amazed how you move people around. And, and it's for your timing and your purposes. And so here we are, uh, even maybe visiting for the very first time. And you you're brought them into this congregation, this family, to encourage them, to strengthen them. And I think, too, just to be reminded, Lord, that we're not alone, that we're a big family of churches, that we are all around town and all around the state, around the country, around the world. And 
Today I pray for your word to go forth with great boldness and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you take your Bibles, open them to Nahum chapter 1. Nahum chapter 1. One of the ways I've always remembered Nahum is it goes Jonah, Micah, Nahum. So if you're in that zone, you'll find it. It's not a book that's often taught. Uh, It's not a book that we often reference. But I want to use today Nahum chapter 1 there in verse 7 as the topic of our Bible study. And I've entitled this study, We Know That the Lord is Good. We know that in good times and in bad, in happy times and in sad, in easy times and hard, and especially in the interesting times that we're in right now. I mean, you have all of your own personal issues, the things happening in your life. There's some deep hurt here. There's some trauma. There's PTSD. There's issues that we carry around. The longer we live in this world, the more issues we carry around. And then we have this new season of life, post-pandemic, but really in the pandemic, and you're just not quite sure what's going to happen, how this is going to happen, and, and just the, they're doing studies right now on how difficult, how, how the, the results of the pandemic are really much more difficult on the psyche mentally than they first expected They thought it was just going to be okay to to be locked up forever and stay in your house alone. But the Bible says that it's not wise for us to isolate ourselves. It's not wise. It's not good. We don't need the scientific studies for that. The Bible tells us. But we're living through that. That's our life. This is the time that God has us on the earth. I, I I bet you could just, I mean, you could just say it this way. You were born for this. You are on the earth now for this season as a believer in Jesus Christ. We were born for this. And so as we walk forward in boldness, it's important to be reminded and even choose to lean into this solid foundational biblical truth that the Lord, he is good. Because it's called into question, especially in tough times. It says in 1 Chronicles, you can jot it down in chapter 16, verse 34. I'm going to read to you from the New Living for this. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Cry out and save us, O God, of our salvation. Gather and rescue us from among the nations so that we can thank your holy name and rejoice and praise you. And of course, it's easy to praise God when things are going well, when everything's lining up the way that you want it to, when when things are going our way. Oh, praise the Lord. It it even becomes like a greeting to one another. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord. And it usually is indicative of a season in your life where things are happening the way that you want them. Maybe we we picked this up. It's not like a Calvary Chapel thing, but we picked it up from another church. Maybe you know it. So if you know it, say this with me. You know, there'll be the pastor that says, God is good. And then what's the response? All the time. And all the time. So let's try that. You guys know it. So let's try it. We're going to bring it home next time. When Eric gets back, I want you to do it to him. I want you to test him. So here we go. God is good. And all the time. And it's easier to say when things are well, isn't it? Some of you didn't. Some of you right now are questioning, why is this guy here? Doesn't he know my heart is broken? Doesn't he know that life has been really hard for me? Doesn't he understand when he uses words like pandemic or COVID that hits me, that pierces my heart because I lost a loved one or I lost my job or I'm heading to the ICU after service? I I do know. And I believe that God is good. And I believe that he's good all the time because we're all going to face difficulties in life. You know, when you get a raise, when your family's measuring up to what you expected, when everyone's healthy, you know, when winter ends, when the Dodgers win a World Series. They booed me last night. But God is good. We're happy. When things go the way we want, it's easier to say God is good. Yeah, for sure. But there are those times when it's very difficult to think it or even say it Because my circumstances can change so fast. And things can become so difficult that I simply don't believe that God is good any longer. And I don't want to say it. And I don't like it. 
These are real feelings when we begin to doubt the goodness of God. That's a real response, real emotion. And as we come to Nahum in chapter 1 here, I believe God wants to remind us of his goodness. You know, Nahum is prophesying to the Assyrians that destruction is coming. The judgment of God is coming upon the nation. And he's filled with all these terrible things he has to say. And you know, you know even, even if it's not happening to you, if you have to deliver terrible things or that you have to be involved with people that are close to you, terrible things, it affects you. And I believe Nahum, as he's carrying this, it's starting to affect him. And then he just breaks in in verse 7 here. He breaks out in this, this remembrance of the goodness of God. I mean, look at verse 6. He says, Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. And then he is like this little pause, this little parenthesis. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. The Lord is good. And to me, it's encouraging to be reminded of even the things that we face collectively and individually. So let's break this down in three parts today. And let the Holy Spirit encourage us. Let's look at number one. Let's just establish the truth that the Bible says and we agree that the Lord is good. This is the place of spiritual warfare in your life daily. I I mean, for your daily spiritual, mental, and emotional health, the battle is right here. Do I believe that God is good? However I wake up in the morning, whatever I face, do I really believe that God is good? It's important that you have that as a basic fact of your relationship with God. You just know that God is good. Why? Well, because the world, our flesh, our humanity, you know, when you think of the word flesh, I want you to not think of like the skin on your bones, but when the Bible uses it in a spiritual way, here's a phrase that you can jot down to remember the flesh and what it looks like in your life. You can remember the flesh as this, your old sinful habit patterns, the way that you responded naturally to things apart from Christ. That's your flesh. That's what you and I revert to when things are out of our control. That's what we revert to when we're hurt. That's what we revert to when we feel like things are out of control. We go back to a sinful habit in our lives to try to gain some control. And so in our lives, you have that sinful nature, that battle that goes on. You have the world system that we're in wanting to drag us away and minimize the goodness of God. This, they're constantly driving home this fact. Constantly, like, like, like continually, moment after moment. It, it's happened so much you don't even recognize it anymore. You don't even feel it anymore. I was thinking of, I was thinking of, it came to me, an illustration came to me last night. I was just thinking, you know, in our house, I don't know about your house, but we live in a typical uh, neighborhood we moved into 15, 16 years ago. Uh, You know, typical neighborhood filled with rabbits. Is your neighborhood filled with rabbits? I mean, rabbits everywhere, squirrels, birds, coyotes, foxes, like, like every, and, and by the way, every animal in our neighborhood thinks they own our house our house. You got the rabbits digging under the, under the patio. You got the birds building their houses all over our house. I mean, so much so that they build, we have this little, you know, we have a little front porch thing with a pillar and the birds build their nests up there. And then they sit on either side on our neighbor's houses and dive bomb you when you walk out like they, hey, that's my house. And I'm like, no, it's my house. And they don't care. They come after you. But with all of the animals, with all the animals that tick me off, I mean, they all tick me off, but the one that ticks me off the most is the woodpecker. Yeah, by the way, we checked. You can't do anything to woodpeckers, man. They are totally protected. You want to be protected? Become a woodpecker. Because you can't do anything to them. You can't even shoot an air gun at them. You just got to let them do what they do. And you know what? Our woodpecker, I mean, we should name it, maybe Woody. Thanks. Thanks, courtesy laugh. If you laughed at Robert, you got to laugh at me. This woodpecker, he thinks he owns our house, but only a part of our house. You know where he shows up? That little pipe up at the top with the little metal top, the flat metal top. And I I mean, you just wake up and I'm like, oh man, 
And I go up, and I remember one time I took a football, and I threw it at him, and he ran. He says, look at me. What are you doing, man? What? Take you on. And he says, I mean, super loud, because that metal, I mean, it, it reverberates through the whole house. It's scary. And, and then after the weather changes, I don't know what happens in winter or whatever, the wood, woodpecker goes back. You know, what, you know what the woodpecker does? He doesn't go to our neighbor's house next year. He doesn't go across the street. He comes back. Like, they have an amazing memory. The dude comes back to our house. And we've bought everything you can think of on Amazon to try to get rid of this woodpecker, you know. They all, we read all the blogs and try this and try this. And maybe you even email me and say, well, Ed, have you tried this? Before you email me, just come to our house and do it. Go ahead. Do it. Meet the woodpecker. Maybe you'll become friends. You can take them home with you. But, but, but when I was thinking of that, it reminds me, that's how the enemy is. He picks one area of your life. Maybe it's a past hurt. Maybe it's a present one. And just whispering, yelling, but incessantly asking you, do you really believe that God is good? Look at your life. Look what's happening. And you're going to tell me that God is good? This is the battle. Since the Garden of Eden, the devil has questioned the goodness of God. Since the Garden of Eden, the devil himself, this is the point of all the warfare that we face in life. This is the point that God is good, faithful, reliable, trustworthy. Remember what the temptation was in the garden? Has God indeed said? He wants you and I to be in a posture. And even we participate. Sometimes we don't need the spiritual warfare of the devil at all. We participate ourselves. And we begin to measure our life by the situation and the circumstance. And then we ask, I wonder if God's good after all. Because look at me compared to look at her compared to... And this powerful temptation tends to show up when things don't line up with the way that we planned. With what we wanted. You have a desire, you pray earnestly, but the answer is no. I'll give this to you for homework, but you'll remember in 2 Corinthians, we have a, we have a time in the life of Paul the Apostle where it's just, he describes he has a thorn in the flesh, remember that? And he pleaded with the Lord three times to have it removed. And you remember the answer, you probably memorized this. The answer that is recorded in Scripture is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my, weak, your, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. You guys know that? 2 Corinthians, I don't know, 11, 12, somewhere in there. But the answer to Paul's prayer was actually one word. I know that Jesus gave him an explanation of how his life would go forward, but the answer was actually just one word. I can, I can sense Paul screaming and yelling, please take this away, please take this away. You've got to, please, I can do so much more for you, Lord. I can do so much. I, I can be used if you just take this away. It's plaguing me. It's horrible. And, and the answer from heaven was no. That was the answer. I, I know that Jesus then explained to him how, God, how he's going to use it, how it's going to grow him, how it's going to strengthen him, how it's going, but the answer was no, you're going to live with it, Paul. You're going to learn to live with this. It is going to be a part of your, we don't. We aren't told if it was ever removed. We aren't told in the scriptures how long. But from this point on, the answer was no. And those are painful answers from heaven. We don't expect them, especially when you're begging God. Especially when you're desperate. You don't expect a no answer, and it throws you into crisis. Eight years ago, I know that some of you know, but many of you don't, our 26-year-old son went into a coma. He experienced a cardiac arrest and went into a coma, and our lives became a place of desperation, asking God to wake him up. Wake him up. Give him time, change hearts, we're willing to wait. And it wasn't but a few weeks later that the answer from heaven was no. And our oldest son, our firstborn, born to teenage parents, unbelieving parents, Marie and I, went home to be with the Lord. And it threw us into crisis of which we're still in. I think we'll be in until we meet Jesus face to face. There's ongoing healing and blessing and encouragement, of course. But pain is pain. 
I share that illustration with you, not, not for you to say, well, you know, I've never experienced that level of pain, Ed. No, the results of pain are felt the same way. Yeah, some are much harder and much more difficult, but pain feels like pain no matter the source. Loss feels like loss no matter the loss. And we all have to deal with, in our lives, we all have to deal with a no answer from God. Especially when you measure it up and go, well, but this is the right thing and this is the way it should be. And, uh, you know, even if you would go so far to say, I don't know if you would, but if you would go so far to say, well, if I was God, I would answer this way. But we're not. We trust him. And even as Nahum is prophesying here of great judgment and great difficulty and great hardship, he has to pause in his own life and go, no, 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 the Lord is good. Because life can be so overwhelming. And because God doesn't do things your way, and it doesn't come out the way you expect, you begin to question. It's the stress. You know, the devil's so successful at this because he takes advantage of my limited understanding. I can only see, you know, barely in front of me. I, I don't know what the bigger picture is yet. I'm living life like my story hasn't been told yet. It's still ongoing. I don't know the big picture. I just live in the moment. And in the moment, it's very painful. I want what's in front of me. I forget many times that there's a bigger picture that God is working out in my life. And it's his will to accomplish, not mine. I can be so caught up in the pain and the fear and the anxieties and the overwhelming worries that I start to challenge God. And, and I even can get to the place where I'm angry with God. The God that loved me, sent his son Jesus Christ to die for me, rescue me from the very pit of hell, from the miry clay. And here I am, little Ed, getting mad at God. Yeah. I need to be reminded that the Lord is good. And there have been times when the only thing that really sustained me was the knowledge that God was good. And even though I don't understand what's happening, and some of you are in that place right now where here's where you are. You are so desperate for God to tell you why that you've made like a bargain with him. Or maybe you've even made a bargain with yourself and here's what it sounds like. You know, if God will just explain to me why, then I'll get over this hump and things will get better. If you'll just tell me why. If you'll just give me understanding. But you know as well as I do that the Bible does not teach us to walk by understanding. The Bible doesn't say, okay, everything's going to be good when God explains it to you. Here, here's, the, here's the real truth. If God explained to you exactly what he's doing, what he's going to do, and why, that still wouldn't satisfy you. It would just raise more questions. Well, wait a minute. If I was you, I would have done it this way. Can't you do it that way? I don't understand. And, and you're on a never-ending quest to have some basis of understanding that you think will give you the stability that you're looking for, but that's not where stability comes from. The Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. And for sight, you can replace anything. I, I think it was Warren Wiersbe that said, we walk by faith and not by explanations. You know, you parents understand that. Your kids want you to explain every single thing your entire life. They just got question after question after question after question, and finally, you just tell them to Google it. <laughs> because it's a never-ending, they're in a season in their life, they're just never-ending looking for information. They don't have it. And we're like that with our Heavenly Father. And the Lord doesn't just, he doesn't respond, oh, just Google it. You know how he responds? Trust me. Well, Why? Well, because in my very nature, God says, I'm good. You'll learn it soon enough, but I'm good. I'm reminded, aren't we, you know, as we think this, this battle in our minds, we're reminded according to Romans 8, 28, you know, even Paul writes it with such authority, says, we know that God is working all things together for the good. We know. How will you ever know that until you have a few things that God's working together for the good? You won't be able to say it until you begin to see. Because not everything's good, right? Sometimes we'll read Romans 8 and we're like, you know, we're, we're like, okay, wait a minute. God works most things together for the good. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say God works some things together for the good. No, it doesn't, he doesn't say that. God, God says, I, I'm working 
all things together for the good. But that means not all things are going to be good. And there's a purpose and a plan for this and this and this. And somehow, putting them all together, God is bringing out for two things. If you're, you know, next to Romans 8, 28 in your Bibles, you should write this. God is working it out for his glory, right? You represent him. So even in this last year that we've experienced, it is a purposeful plan of God to use the difficulties, to use the decisions, to use the government, to use, to use all these things. Why? Number one, for his glory, not for your comfort and your ease. So things will go the way that you plan. No, God has a higher purpose than your comfort. He has a higher purpose for, for, for our lives that we can endure these things for his purposes. So number one, for his glory. And then secondly, God's working these things out. What? For your good. Your good. His glory, your good. We need to read it in the right way. Come back to Nahum number, no, chapter 1, verse 7. Notice number 2. Number 1, the Lord is good. Number two, the Lord is a stronghold in the day of trouble. So let's pause here and just be reminded, everyone listening to me, even you guys that are online right now, you guys are still, everybody's facing days of trouble. There isn't anyone listening to me that's immune to days of trouble. Especially those of you that call upon the name of Jesus Christ. Somehow, somewhere along the way, people got, you know, salvation was explained like, oh, things are going to be great. Things are going to be wonderful. You're never going to experience pain anymore. You're never going to get sick anymore. And, And that's just nonsense. In this world, Jesus said that you will have tribulation. He said that to people following him. Hey, you want to follow me? It's going to be hard. You're going to follow me and you got to deny yourself. You want to follow me? It's going to be horrendous. They're going to arrest you. They're they're going to hurt you. Some of you will even be killed for me, Jesus says. You're going to be hated. Why? Because they hate me. Those are familiar teachings of Jesus that get dismissed in a culture that's used to being comfortable. But our brothers and sisters in Iran, they live and cling to the Lord is good. And he's a stronghold in those days of trouble. Stronghold, if you like to write in your Bibles, you can circle that Hebrew word. It literally means a fortress. The idea is when you're running away in days of trouble, you can run to God and he will be a protector for you. He will guard you. Walls in the Old Testament are so significant. Spoke of protection. Spoke of safety. Spoke of security. That's what a stronghold does. He's a stronghold. And you know how your emotions go back and forth and up and down. And and you don't know how to respond. The Bible says that God is a stronghold. In Psalm 34, verse 19, it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers delivers him out of them all. God doesn't promise to keep you from trials, but rather to deliver you in revealing his power and his strength. In Psalm 20, verse 1, it says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary. May he strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifices. The Lord is a stronghold. Not only is he good, but he's a stronghold in times of trouble. The safest place on the planet Earth is to be in the Lord. He's a refuge. In other words, used to describe God, he's a refuge, he's a shelter, he's a protected location, he's a fortress. Can I ask you to turn over to Proverbs? I want you to see this in your own Bible. Would you go to Proverbs chapter 18 with me? Proverbs chapter 18. Of course, you guys that are using your phones and your iPads, you can get there so much faster than us. But Proverbs 18, notice with me in verse 10. This is one of those verses you've got to hide in your heart. I mean, each of the ones I'm sharing with need to be familiar to you because all of us are going to face trials and you want to be careful who you go to to be your stronghold. You might want to jot that down. You want to be careful who you go to to be your stronghold because we all need strongholds. Uh, The big secret in the room today is you're not as strong as you think you are. And so when you're not as strong as you think you are, you run to someone stronger or at least someone that's perceived to be stronger. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. 
the righteous run to it, and what does it say? They are safe. We need to learn to run to the Lord. I don't mean like run to church, although running to a place of where other believers are, great decision. Because you don't want to run back to the bar. That's not going to be a stronghold for you. You don't want to run back to a relationship, an abusive relationship. It's not going to be a stronghold for you. You don't want to run to whatever is legal or illegal with drugs or back to a doctor so you can get a new prescription. You don't want to be running to those. So they're not going to be a stronghold to you. They're going to do more damage. They're going to have temporary relief with long-term consequences. Temporary relief, long-term consequences. But the Lord is a stronghold. He's a place of safety and security. A place that will help you weather the storm. He brings peace and strength moment by moment. That's what we're learning, aren't we? We're learning what it means to abide in Christ. The place where we receive his resources. And here's one of the mistakes that we make. When we think of abiding, we think, well, I'm going to run to the Lord in time of crisis. I'm going to receive his comfort and it's going to last forever. No, that's not, what, that's, not exact, that's not what Jesus teaches at all. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, John 15. And that, my, that word abide is easily translated for us. It's a simple word in the Greek. It just means to stay put. Don't move. Just come to the Lord and stay put. Trust him in the good times and the bad. Learn to say God is good all the time, all the time. But you've got to run to him because if you run away from him to that new relationship, to that new situation, you know, if you run, 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 the problem with running is you never get where you want to go. And when you run, you take all your problems with you. And so you finally arrive where you think, oh, here I am, I made it. And then you find, no, it's still messed up. You know why? Because you're messed up. And you need the Lord to touch you and encourage you and stay put. That's why I counsel, and I, I really mean it. I live it in my own life. When you're in the midst of deep pain, sorrow, grief, trial, tribulation, just take this to heart. You ready, church? Don't make any big decisions. Wait it out. Give God some time to calm the storm. Don't make any big decisions. Because a lot of things, you're just desperate to get out of your situation. So desperate to get out of the situation brings, well, you know, I'll just move to another state. That may or may not be God's will for your life, but it's definitely a bad decision to make in the midst of crisis. Just wait. Put it on a list. Maybe get out a piece of paper, or maybe I've been doing it on my iPad where things come up. I mean, I just write it down and pray over it. And you know what happens after a week or two? It's not as urgent in my heart as it was when I wrote it down. <laughs> it's like, oh man, oh, hey, oh. no, Lord, you're so good. I don't remember how I felt two weeks ago or a week ago because I'm learning this, abiding. When you think of abiding, I want you to think of this. It's not abiding today that will last forever. It's abiding moment by moment. God is ready to comfort you moment by moment. He's not going to give you comfort next week. You're not there yet. He's just going to give it to you right now. That's what you need. You need it now. Now, right here, now. And so you moment by moment abiding, trusting in him. I love this. There's something about the name of Jesus, you know. I was, it reminded me of a song, and you probably start singing this in your head when I read the lyrics. You ready? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus. Like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim that kings and kingdoms will pass away, but there's something about that name. How many of you sang that in your head? Oh, it's just a beautiful song. We haven't sang it in so long. Uh, just like reminded, oh, it's so good. Look it up and listen to it. It's so encouraging, the name of Jesus. Jesus is a stronghold for you, church. He's faithful. He's a stronghold for those that are in trouble today. He's a strength for the weak. He's a place of comfort and help and peace. He's your hope in time of despair. He's your place of protection, safety, and defense. You know, there were some seasons there in my life, even as I've been walking with the Lord all these years, where I didn't think I was going to make it. Or I didn't think my kids would make it. Or I didn't think my wife would make it. We just didn't think. We just didn't think we are going to make it. This is just... You know, this is just too much. Overwhelming. But you know, day by day, 
moment by moment, the Lord has given us the strength to live now eight years later, serving him faithfully, many times just in his strength. It's not, not my own wisdom. And I found that whether it's a big crisis like that or some of the smaller crises that come to all our, the Lord's just humbling me. He's humbling you. That's not a punishment. Humbling. It's a necessity. So that we, God is attracted to humility. And we aren't so much. We're afraid to be humble because we're afraid of someone taking advantage of us or what are people going to think about us and what are they going to say when you leave. But when you're humble, you don't care. You just trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and what? He'll direct your paths. And maybe today you're listening and you're going, man, I, I don't think I'm going to make it, Ed. You're going to make it because God is faithful in your life. You're going to make it through. You're going to make it through today. I mean, I, maybe, maybe even now there are like the gal that Pastor Billy was telling us about that's walking through the parking lot here contemplating suicide. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've had these suicidal ideations and you just kind of think, man, maybe life would be better if I wasn't here and I wouldn't be such a burden and I can't take this. And, and the answer to all that is no, you're wanted, you're needed, your life matters. Suicide is not the answer to the question not the answer to the situation. Instead, it's another choice. No, God is good. Even though it's hard to believe right now, God is good. He's a stronghold. I'm going to run to him. He's going to protect me. And if you are having suicidal thoughts, please talk to somebody. You'd be amazed at how encouraged you'll be when you talk to somebody and you just get it out. You're in a safe environment where someone can listen to you and encourage you and pray with you. Notice finally in verse 7, the last part, number one, not only is God good, number two, he's also a stronghold in the days of trouble. And then finally, he knows those who trust in him. He knows those who trust in him. God knows when you're trusting in him. He knows. He loves you. He understands your weaknesses, your anxieties, your fears. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, you comfort, your comfort delights my soul, the psalmist said. Your comfort delights my soul. In the middle of a great trial, in the middle of times of great grief, there's so many uncertainties. What's the future going to hold? How's this going to turn out? Will I ever be able to survive it? And yet, the knowledge of knowing that God is with me, that he loves me, is so important. But the fact that you're experiencing fear and anxiety right now, it doesn't make you a bad Christian. The fact that you might even describe yourself as depressed, it doesn't make you a bad Christian. I know in the Christian world, the word depression is not a popular one, you know, because the, the, our culture rips words off and gives them meanings that the Bible doesn't. But, but let me tell you something. The discouragement and depression is all over the Bible. I mean, how can you not read the life of Elijah when he's des You know, he has this great victory on Mount Carmel, then he runs away to a cave and says, take my life. I, I would say that's pretty depressed, don't you? I, I think of the psalmist. How can you not describe depression this way when the psalmist says, why are you so disquieted within me, O my soul? That's some heavy emotion. You could call it what you will. I mean, this is such an important topic that, that I began writing about it on my, on my website. And I just wrote an article that I entitled... Christian depression is real. And I wrote it that way so that when people are searching for this topic, that they'll find just a little bit, little article, a little car. We even, for the very first time in our radio broadcast around the country, we offered as a radio offer a book entitled Depression, being, I think, delivered from a stubborn darkness or something, I think is the subtitle. Absolutely thoroughly, 100% biblical approach on dealing with this nasty emotion. Uh, if you're looking for it, it's, uh, the guy's name is Welch, W-E-L-C-H. Great resource to get if this is a part of your life. 
It doesn't make you a bad Christian. I was reminded last night, too, as I was sharing, you know, I remember sitting across the table, uh, one of our, our team pastors, we were talking, going through it. He was really wrestling with stuff. We're sitting across the table. He's brand new to ministry, overwhelmed, beat up. You know, he's just like, oh, he's all bloodied and battered from ministry. And, and he says, you know what? I'm just sad, man. I, I, I'm just, he didn't use the word depressed, but he might have said discouraged or something. And you could see all over. And I remember the Lord gave me a word for him in due season. And I just looked at him. I go, you know what, bro? You can serve the Lord and be sad at the same time. This is not unusual. You're not a bad believer because you're sad. You're, you're not a bad believer because the circumstances are... You're, you're not a bad believer because you participated in making things worse. But it's time to stop. It's time to trust. It's time to cast your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. And here name him says he knows you. You know, because you could read this one of two ways, depending on what your personality is. You could read this and say, and it says, you know, and he knows those who trust in him. And you could go, oh, well, I'm not really trusting him right now, so maybe God doesn't know me. That's not true. That's not what it says. This is a word of emotion. I mean, this is in the old covenant, not the new covenant. This is, this is Nahum speaking of judgment and difficulty. He goes, oh, but wait, God knows those that trust in him. You are not forgotten. And when you choose, because here's the thing, I think it's important as we wind down to understand. You can choose not to trust in God. You can make that choice. You can choose not to trust in God. If you choose to trust in your own wisdom, you choose to try to get out of the situation, you choose to, to refuse to read the Bible, refuse to pray, refuse to be in fellowship. You, you can be a man or a woman of great excuses. God will allow that, but you will suffer greater consequences when you choose not to trust him. God will allow you to go your own way. He'll allow you to lean on your own understanding. Why? So that we will even learn more of his goodness at the end of the road. Like, you don't have to have a long road of rebellion. It, it can be a short road by repenting. And here's something hard to say, and take it for someone that deals with depression and discouragement, okay? I think I, I can tell you this. You need to repent of your false beliefs toward God because your emotions easily cross the line and you begin to redefine God in your own image to accommodate your own emotions and that's sinful and that's why you're in this never-ending loop and why it gets darker and deeper because God is ready to rescue you he's ready to encourage you he's not going to remove the situation he's not going to bring my son back it's not going to happen and the Lord wants me to live in such a way where I trust him even more and even many things, I was in my notes here, I was talking to Sean this morning, Pastor Sean, and just like, you know, there's a lot of things Marie and I have been through over the years. A lot of things. And those things are already in the books. They're not going to change. It's already done. They're in my past. But today's a new day. And I'm not defined by my hurts. I'm not defined by my pain. I'm not defined by my grief. My identity is in Christ. He is my sufficiency. He is my strength. And I find that the habit of rehearsing the truths of God will give me the strength for the moment to be faithful to what he's called me to do. It is hard to trust in God in the midst of pain. It's easier to give the advice. It's easier to, in good times to encourage, to be encouraged. We're willing to trust God in our timing. We're willing to trust God when we can solve it. We're willing to trust God when we can write the check, when we can pay our way out of it, when we can handle it. But when it's out of our control, we're actually, it's required that we trust him and not lean on our own resources. The devil knows the only real peace you'll ever have is when you put your complete trust in the Lord that place of absolute strength. And listen, the Lord knows you that trust in him. He knows you. Not only does he know you, but he wants you to know him. He wants you to know that he's good. He sent me up here 43 miles, I think is what Way said. 43 miles as a messenger. He arranged Pastor Eric to be in Oregon. He arranged Pastor Brennan to come from California into Aurora. 
And he he arranged for me to be here today to remind you that God is good. And he's worthy to be praised. He's a stronghold in the days of trouble. He knows those that trust in him. God's ways are perfect, the Bible says. The Lord's promises are true, the Bible says. He is a shield for all those who look to him for protection. Maybe today you've never given your life to Jesus. That's the real problem. It's actually the greater problem in your life isn't what you're experiencing. It's the fact that you're experiencing apart from God. I want to give you a chance to receive the forgiveness of God in your life. You know, that big barrier, you kind of feel more alone than ever. Well, one, the, the feeling of aloneness is because you're not connected to your creator. You, you haven't surrendered first and foremost. And so God would offer to you the forgiveness of your sin, the removal of shame and guilt, an eternal secure, a, a secure eternity by placing your faith in him today. And you know, there's a pathway to that. You repent you turn away from your sin. You acknowledge. You know, it's easy to acknowledge, isn't it? I can't get everyone. Has anyone ever made a mistake? Everybody lays their hand. Yes, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. I made a mistake. We're, we're so, you know, readily, I'm not perfect. I made a mistake. Well, good. I'm glad that you admit that because what the world calls mistakes, the Bible calls sin. So it would be very easy for you to replace that word and go, you know, I've sinned, I've sinned, I've sinned. Because the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So whether you agree with it or not, we all know you're a sinner. And so am I. And it's, it does take a humility, doesn't it? It takes a humility to go, you know what? That is the essence of my life. I am not connected to my creator. But the good news is, is that even though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life. And today, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he's alive right now, you will be saved, the Bible says. And so as the worship team comes up, I want you to enter into a time. They're going to sing a special song. This is so cool. This is so cool. Because I was praying about the message that I was going to deliver here. I had three or four that I was praying over. And I had made a decision like on Friday and and edited it, look at it, pray over it, um, and be ready to deliver it here on Friday. But then we came up yesterday and we're in the room there in the hotel. And as we're there, I'm just like, I think I need to change it. And so I don't have my computer or anything, but I have my iPad. So I'm looking through and I'm like, yeah, you know what? I think this is the one. The one I'm delivering, you know, I think this is the one. And it's in this one that I have notes to a song we're about to sing. It's become an anthem uh, for Marie and I. Um, it's very hard to sing without tearing up, actually. Uh, and, and so I'm going, I come in yesterday and I'm meeting outside, and, you know, it's, it's, it's different for me. And then, and then I find out that um, they're going to, I have to teach holding a microphone. And that may not be a big deal for you, but that last night was only the second time in 20 years I've ever taught holding a microphone. As you can see, my hands are all over the place, so that makes it hard to hold a microphone. And I've got, and then I'm going down, and, and so my mind was caught on, okay, Ed, you better figure this out. You better do it right. You're here to serve. Get that microphone. And so I got all that until they said, and they gave me the, they're giving me the order a service while they're doing that and I'm not listening I'm not I'm like I'm thinking in my head microphone microphone and they're telling me all, until they said oh and then the last song is the goodness of God and I said what he says yeah that's it when that song plays you know just like I'm like really I said you won't believe this and I take this out I open it up and I say look this is how I'm going to end the message and so let's just go with the flow of what happens. And, and, and I'm going to end the message because I thought this song so encapsulates and it gives you, ver- it gives you verbiage. That's why I like songs. It gives you verbiage and it gives you melody and rhythm and all that, whatever that stuff music is, so it gets stuck in your head. But I'm just going to read you the lyrics and then we're going to sing it together. Listen to what she says. This is Jen Johnson. She says, I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. And all my days, I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. 
Because all my life you've been faithful. And all my life you've been so, so good. With every breath that I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire. And in the darkest night, you are close like no other. I've known you as a father, and I've known you as a friend. And I have lived in the goodness of God. <laughs> it's not just like, and it's in your heart and in your mind, and you leave. You wonder, you know, we have this order of service, and we, oh, we always end with a song. No. No, God is giving you an anthem for your life. He wants the songs to be you. It's not a performance. It's an invitation. Come back to the goodness of God. Come back to His love and care. Walk in the newness of life. And think about it. You know, He's always been good to us. He's always been faithful to us. He's been with us through the fire. He's been with us when we were asleep. We didn't think we'd get up. He was in us when we pulled, maybe even watch or not, you pull the covers over and you say, I don't want to be talk to anybody. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want... Yeah, the Lord is good and greatly to be praised. And only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Jesus Christ is going to last. And so God is calling us to a fresh new work of His Spirit. He's calling you to even move forward and it's okay to serve God and be sad at the same time. Because what the sadness you're feeling is for a very good reason. And I'm sorry. I wish we could all go through life with less sadness. But according to the Bible, the farther we get, the closer we get to Jesus, the more sadness we're going to... You know that you know the Bible describes Jesus as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. So let's stand together, church, and sing this song and let it be an anthem in your heart. It's one of the reasons why we encourage you, don't leave. Don't get set. I know the parking lot's hard, the kids are hard, but we'll all figure it out. You can leave your kids here. We'll put them to work. No, don't do that. Don't do that. If you need to give your life to Jesus today, this is the time, right? The pastors will be up here to minister to you. Men and women on the prayer team. Like, like we're, we're, we're not going to do an altar call or anything because God has already done that altar call in your heart. He's already received. He said, look, look, you hear that guy? He's right. I've revealed myself as good, gracious, full of mercy. And maybe today the song that we're going to sing is going to be your new anthem. It seems like every year God gives us a new anthem. And we just memorize this. I love you, Lord. That's how it starts. So let's worship. Let's put our hearts. Father, we just put our hearts into a mode of worship. Forgive us for our straying ways, I guess is the best way to put it. We just kind of wander away in our hurt, in our pain even start to define ourselves. That's just who we are. It's not who we are. We're men and women bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ that you love. Our identity is found in your love for us. That even if we are faithless, you remain faithful. May you be exalted and glorified among us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for the privilege of being here. The Lord bless you.